Welcome to the Dallas Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Dallas Film Commission. Throughout this podcast series, we'll take you behind the scenes, peeling back the curtain on the magic of filmmaking. From big budget blockbusters to indie gems, we'll explore the creative process, delve into the art of storytelling, and celebrate the talented individuals who bring these visions to life. Roll sound. Sound speed. Roll camera. Camera speed. And action. We'll start out with some quick intros. I know all of you sent me your bios, but I did not memorize all three of your bios. Uh, but I do have a good knowledge of, of what everyone's done. So you saw, you know, Liz is uh, some of Liz's films, and obviously nominated for Independent Spirit Awards, and worked with the Duplass Brothers, and just had a, a ton of films that she's done over the years. Really high level, nominated for a lot of awards. And Elaine is a uh, an amazing producer who's been in the industry. We don't want to say for how long, but she started her career working with uh, Michael Mann on Miami Vice, the TV series in the 1980s, and uh, has worked on Oscar-nominated films like Ali, Oscar-winning films like Moonlight, The Florida Project, a wide variety of films over the years. And Melissa, the youngster in the group, uh, has been still done 15 films in the last eight years and has uh, worked at a really high level. It's in DGA. Uh, as a UPM and has a has established himself as a great producer um, already over the years, and we're really excited. You know, when we put this workshop together, of you know, how do you find the right producer for your project? We started with Liz, and then it turned out we were going to have Elaine and Melissa in town at the same time because we've been location scouting with them for the last couple of days uh, to uh, to possibly bring a film or two to the area that they got there. So it worked out perfect to uh, have the two of them join the, uh, join the join the panel here. So one of the things, you know, a question that I always get is when I introduce myself as a film commissioner, no one knows what that is, and you have to kind of explain explain what that is. And I've been a producer <laughs> for many years as well, and it's the same thing with the producer. You say you're a producer, people know what the word is, but they really don't have any idea what it means or what people do. And we have we really do have three different types of producers on the panel right now who've done very different things over the years. So let's start out first by just saying, you know, as a producer, kind of, what do you, what do you do? Liz, we'll, we'll start with you. So um, I am a creative producer and I've worked in the independent film space. So there's a little differentiation when you're talking about independent film versus like more studio type pictures. And so, you know, when you're working in smaller budgets, smaller films, a lot of times those things bleed together, such as being a creative producer versus like a line producer. And we were joking earlier that as a producer, you basically just do everything. You do everything from A to Z to get a movie off the ground, on the screen, and out into the world. Um, but I remember having a conversation with one of uh, the producers that I worked with and worked under, Toby Halbrooks, who's one of David Lowry's producers. And he was like saying, you really need to think about what you want to do if you want to be a creative producer or a line producer, because those are two different kind of tracks. And so, you know, line producers typically, and you can elaborate on that, but, you know, are really overseeing the budget specifically and hiring crew and doing a lot of logistics. Creative producing, in, in a lot of cases, you're starting off early on in the project with the writer, writer, director. In some cases, you've got material that you have and you hire write, directors or writers to do an adaptation. And so it's creatively overseeing the project from, from the beginning to the end, whereas a line producer is kind of hired you know, prior to the production and then oversees the production. And then the creative producer usually stays on board to the, en the, life, the end of the film. But again, in the independent film space, I, you know, I've kind of done both. Um, I agree with everything Liz just said as far as as a producer, you're pretty much responsible for the entire film from beginning to end. You know, there is a difference. The creative producer will stay on from early inception to not only dealing with the script, you're casting, you're dealing with the writers, and you stay on through post, you know, whereas um, I am more of a line producer. I negotiate the union contracts. I hire the crew. Um, I, there's in budgets for film, there's something that's above the line and below the line. The above the line people are the actors, the directors, the producers, all the creatives are above the line. Below the line are all the workers, all the people, you know, 
production managers, gaffers, all the working crew. And a line producer kind of walks that line between above and below. And that's the only way I know how to really explain it. Um, you know, everything goes through you that has to do any financial impact, but it's also we're responsible for the scheduling to make sure we can make this movie. It's doable. We can do it within this amount of period of time. You know, we create the budget ahead of time, you know, and which is a living, breathing document until you actually start shooting. Your budget can change, you know, many times a day, you know, as you're making deals, as you're moving forward. But, um, and I've worked both studio and independent films. In studios, um, a line producer's job is very much the same, but it's a little more political. You're dealing with the studios all the time and getting, they have their precedences that you can't cross, so you can't negotiate your own union contracts, you can't solve a lot of your own problems. Whereas um, up until, I'd say about a dozen years ago when I started really doing independent filmmaking, it was a lot more, for me, a lot more rewarding because I can solve our own problems. You know, that I can um, negotiate something that I'm not negotiating on behalf of 30 other movies, you know. So it, there's more creative freedom for what I do. Not that it's really called a creative job, but in a way it is because you're juggling personalities and egos and making sure they all fit together with the above the line and, you know, the below. So, yeah. let's... I was just saying, speak a little closer to my phone. Oh. <laughs> you have to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say, you know, as a production manager and, you know, working with Elaine as my line producer, um, it's it really is towing that line. Uh, you know, I find myself to be everyone's best friend and enemy because we, you know our budgets are a living, breathing document. You know, there's a finite amount of money and not everybody can have all the toys and all the crew that they want. So it's working creatively with our creatives, working with the crew and how we're able to, you know, make these films within the dynamics that we have to, because, you know, unfortunately people just at independent films aren't just throwing money at them, you know, just because it's, it could be a beautiful script that doesn't, that doesn't matter to them. It's what's going to make them money. So we have to fit into that. And so, Liz, you know, speaking of money, <laughs> that is always the most challenging part of any project, right, is, is finding the money for it. And I know a lot of people think, especially if you're a, a writer or a director, you have ideas, you're like, I just need to find a good producer. They will get me the money I need, and, and magically all will be well in the world, and, and my project will happen. You talk a little bit about the realities of finding money and what you do, you know, do you go out and find money? Is that part of what you're doing or are you working with other producers who are really finding money and then you're more creative folks? Talk a little bit about that process of finding the money. And I, I would love to first clarify that, um, you know, when we talk about independent film, that's anything that's not made by a studio. So an independent film could be, and it could be a feature, it could be like $50,000, it could be $20 million. Obviously, there's a huge difference between the two. And so my, um, what I've primarily done is like the lower budget film space, working up slowly, but I had a journalism background. So I am, I guess, driven by like real stories, diverse stories, and obviously coming from Dallas, Texas, you know, it's a regional market. So my thing is, 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 you know, again, there's a huge difference between bigger budget and smaller. And so for me, it's been a combination of things in terms of finding money. Um, you know, it started off, you know, a group of us filmmaker friends making movies together where you're scrounging together some monies, doing crowdfunding campaigns, submit, submitting to programs and getting grants and those types of things. And then as you go forward, it can be shorts or features, you start making more connections, meeting more people. So then as that's happened, then you start, you know, and making connections for potential investors um, and, you know, production companies that would want to finance your film. Um, so to me, it's like one small step at a time, whereas you're always keeping in mind who are the people you know, who are the connections you have? So again, my answer comes from this independent, smaller budget film space is 
what movie are you making and why are you making it? And so therefore what you're trying to do is think outside the box. I mean, you might be thinking about like, oh, what relatives do I have that are attorneys or dentists that can give you some money? But you're also thinking about allies and advocates. And so, so often in the independent film space, there's a reason why you're telling this story. So what you want to do is try to think about who would want to support that story. Is, does it have some sort of social impact or social relevance? Is it about a subject matter that, oh, well, that, these, this organization, these people would be interested in that. And then, you know, I was producing, um, you know, low budget in Hollywood terms, but like around a $3 million movie, and it was a Persian film. So I was actually pitching to, you know, uh, Persian businessmen who had a real passion for telling this type of story. Um, you know, so it's always just about finding the angle and thinking outside the box in addition to anybody in your wheelhouse who would want to support you as a filmmaker. Um, and then just, again, along the way, going to film festivals, meeting people. Now you start making connections and then that broadens up your scope of more, I guess you'd say, like Hollywood money, if that makes sense. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, with any film project, there's no there's no one way to get something done. Like, every project you do is completely different, and there's always different ways to do it. Maybe yes. we, should, we should rewind a little bit as well, and kind of, how did, how did everyone start? You mentioned you started off as a, as a journalist, uh, and then sort of progressed the industry there. So we'll actually kick to Elaine, and then we'll come back around to, to you, Liz, on how you guys started. But Elaine, you know, obviously I mentioned you started on Miami Fox <laughs> with Michael Mann, Michael Mann in the 1980s. So talk a little bit about how your career got started and then how you transitioned into the different phases of, you know, being producer uh, throughout the years. Okay. Um, part of it, which is very, very real, is luck, you know. Um, I happen to be in the right. What am I doing? I happen to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I was hired to drive somebody around for a couple of days, a, a creative consultant for Miami Vice, before it started shooting. And I, through that, met producers. Met people. I had no idea who anybody was, so I was very comfortable. I thought it was all very social. And um, at one point, everyone in the producer's office got ill. And they called me up and asked if I would come in and cover the office. And I said, yes, I'd never been in a production office. And, um, but it's really what shows through and what I've learned and what I look for is your work ethic. Because that's what it really takes. It's, it's the passion, it's the drive, but it's your work ethic. It's, you, you know, um, especially when you're starting out and you're dealing with people like Michael Mann, you don't say, oh, it's nine o'clock, I'm here 12 hours, can I go home? You know, you don't say no until you've, you know, if they want, we were on one job, they wanted me to find a boa constrictor at two o'clock in the morning to put in a washing machine. And, and before I could say no, I had to wake up everyone I knew and I, you know, and it's that kind of thing. You have to really put your nose to the grind and, and keep going. You know, um, I was lucky, I was taught that uh, whoever's making the copies of the script and distributing it is just as important as everyone else because you can't make a movie without either, you know, which sounds easy, but it'd be Michael Mann would come into town with these bar napkins, which was before computers, handwritten notes, and I'd be cutting and pasting and trying to get them to the set by six o'clock in the morning before they started shooting and not knowing at the time it was going to become a huge hit. And it was, and just, I was very lucky to be part of that and ride with it. Um, but I only stayed with the show for about a year. I got married afterwards and um, I ended up doing a lot of Michael's and John Nicolello, the other producers, their side work. So um, not doing Miami Vice anymore, but I was doing like a mini series in Spain with Michael. And I still didn't see myself as becoming a producer or staying in the film business. I would have became a lot better friend with a lot of the stars I worked with had I ever knew that I'd be a producer. But it was, it was the adrenaline and being part of that group and that part of that creative process and just watching it. And, and it's just this energy that you find. And I imagine most of you here who want to be filmmakers have that, you know, that passion, that drive, that energy that, you know, you can work 18 hours if you have to, or whatever it takes. And even now, you know, I choose not to work 18 hour days, but there are times where you've got to do whatever it takes. Um, and I just, 
went from that, from one project to the next. I did a lot of television series in the 90s, and that was interesting and fun. But um, I really love doing feature films, you know, and it took a lot of years before I was able to say, this is where I want to head. You know, for many years, it's about working. And as long as you're working, you're growing, you're moving, you're meeting. I tell people all the time how to start out. If you're sitting home doing nothing and there's a movie going on, call the office and volunteer to be an intern for a couple of days. Get out there. Just energy breeds energy. And I mean, I can't, I could tell you several people that I've hired that did that to me, that showed up on moving day to help move furniture into the office, that you just fall in love with them and next thing you know, they're part of your team. You know, and it's that kind of being open and willing to do whatever it takes to make it done and to also know when you can't, when it's time to change, you know, lanes. Um, you know, when I decided to go into independent filmmaking, um, I just, from what I do as a line producer, I'm much closer to directors and the creative producers and I get much more hands-on. Which is, in it, which is what I chose to do and want, that's the direction I wanted to get in. Not that I ever wanted to be a creative producer, I don't. But I wanted to be part of that process. You know, um, I wanted, you know, to me it doesn't matter if it's blue or green, it's how much it costs. But at the same time, you want the movie to be the best it can be. So it is it's a collaboration of so many people and so many brilliant ideas and writers and you know everybody from the production assistant on to the director of photography are integral parts of production and um, I think that's something that I learned a lot from my Miami Vice experience with the producer John Nicolella he was called Captain Chaos and he was a bit of a wild man but um, he took really good care of his people and he told the truth which is not something that you hear very often. If he fired someone, he told them why. And I love that. I love the fact that you can be that honest and, and still do what you have to do and make the changes you have to make. Because it's really not for everybody. There are many people, I've had so many interns who start out thinking they want to be filmmakers, they want to dedicate their life to this. And after a couple of films, they're really it's not their space, it's not their energy, it's not where they belong. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't a great experience, it's just it kind of weeds you out. Because if you want to be a filmmaker, you have to want it more than anything else pretty much in, the, in your world. You have to be willing to give whatever it takes, whether it's seven days a week, whether it's missing a, your child's school play, you know, it's painful what you have, you know, the dues you have to pay. But, um, I don't know how to do anything else. So it, it's, you know, it's just love. I, every time I say, I'm not gonna work for a while, then the phone rings and you start getting all the adrenaline. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah, we can do this. And, and it starts falling together. Um, one of the things about funding is to point out on the producer level, there's also the executive producers. And they are ultimately the people who are either investing or raising the money. Um, but as a producer, a line producer, when you're trying to get an independent project off the ground, you are going to any area you know, or, you know, film fund you've heard of, or presenting yourself somewhere. You know, you start out going to people like your dentist, and you, but they'll only film, they'll only finance one movie. They're not gonna, you know. So you always have to think about also what's your next film. You don't want to burn bridges on any one project and use up all your resources on any one project because, you know, hopefully it's going to be two, three, and, you know, you're going to keep growing and, and networking and meeting more people. And it just takes on a life of its own in many ways. Well, Melissa, maybe you could answer the question, why debt does seem to be so wealthy and everyone? <laughs> <laughs> or you could skip that and just, you know, tell us how you are. I take care of my teeth, so okay. my dentist doesn't make much of me. Um, you know, I got into the industry, you know, since I was a little kid, I always wanted to make movies, you know, I think the only positions I knew of were director and actor. So I thought I wanted to be an actor, realized I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't like going to auditions and things like that as like a kid. And, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So after I graduated college, I reached out to a few of the local producers that I knew, asked if they had any paying jobs and because they were 
you know, small independent films. They didn't have those, but they had an internship. So I met a local producer in, in Florida who was actually a producing partner, is a producing partner of Elaine's. And I interned with her for about a year. I was working at Starbucks, waking up at four in the morning, you know, would work eight hour shifts, go work for her. But, you know, in the first six months of working with her, I released one of her films into 12 theaters across the United States. I had to secure um, advertising and work with local schools because it was kind of like a college type film. And it just taught me a lot. And that's kind of when I realized working with her and all the, like, and that was just the post-production aspect of, of producing that I wanted to myself get into producing. And then I started getting paying jobs as an assistant to the producers. I did a lot of accounting clerking, um, which I highly recommend because I was seeing the numbers kind of rolling in. I was privy to a lot of information. You know, your average set PA isn't going to get um, a lot of your average like department heads and things like that. I'm seeing budget numbers um, and just privy to a lot of information, a lot of uh, conversations I'm able to listen to. And just kept going, kind of taking any job I could get. And I was fortunate enough to start working with Elaine and learn from her, just digested everything that she had to say. And um, a few years ago, she gave me my first opportunity to production supervise um, a Hallmark film that she was producing. And that's kind of where it started rolling for me once I didn't mess up too bad and was able to actually do the job. and. Um, just kind of kept going from there, doing more, uh, more projects. I was fortunate enough to do some smaller DGA projects and through that was able to, to get my DGA card last year and produce my first small Hallmark film last year. But it was, it was just, I took whatever I could get. I listened, you know, even when I probably shouldn't have been listening, but, um, I just tried to absorb everything that I could and said, yes, you know. I got an opportunity to go to Bulgaria. Yes. You want to do this movie in California? You have to pay your way to get there. Yes. You know, same thing for a movie in Oklahoma. I just took anything that I could app and that I could do to, to just learn. Awesome. And I think that's probably really valuable information that, you know, the three of you have all said is really just, you got to take your opportunities and run with it. Maybe we not work for, nobody wants to work for free, but if you're just starting a lot of times, you know, that's, that's what happened. So Liz, you started as a journalist with the Dallas Morning News. So did you go to journalism school originally and then you were going to be the next woman <laughs> person and ended up a producer? How did that yeah, work for you? Um, I, I would just say real quickly that like my family was always very supportive of the arts, but um, it wasn't something that I was thinking about as a career. And so then I always wanted to be an actress. And so then I ended up getting a degree in broadcast journalism in college, thinking that that would kind of combine a love of performance and being in front of the camera with an actual career. And I love writing and meeting people. And so then I ended up wanting to stay in Dallas and not go to like a small, tiny town. And so that's how I started working with the Dallas Morning News. And as I was a journalist, I was going on auditions. And that's when I started, like I got an agent and going, taking acting lessons and so forth. And then over time, I was like, I don't really want to be a reporter. I love, again, I love writing and meeting people. Uh, so I stopped reporting and then started writing screenplays. Still was kind of, you know, pursuing acting. And um, my ex, who I'm still good friends with, he wanted to make a film. And so we made a horror film. Uh, I was just an actress in it. And, but I started going to all the meetings. And this is like an indie, low-budget film. Uh, the lead actor was on that TV show, Friday Night Lights. And... Um, and so then I was just like, oh, I can get this. I can do that, you know? And so over the course of the production, they were like, you should get a producer credit. And kind of like what you were saying, you know, I, I knew I loved acting and writing, but I had no idea what a producer was and never even thought about that. Uh, but I loved the empowering feeling that it gave me instead of hoping somebody would cast me or buy my script. And so then um, that kind of gave me that that bug and i realized that my skill set as a journalist or reporter really translated to producing um i still have that the creative passions of the writing and acting and i've directed to um but i i'm just a proactive person so i would much rather be on a set than anywhere and i'd rather help make movies get made um than not and so then when we sold that film that horror film 
Um, and this is like blockbuster days. Uh, so it was a DVD movie. And so the distributor that we had out in Los Angeles was at a big company and then she was leaving and starting a smaller company focused on family and kids films. And we had a good relate, you know, good working relationship with her. And so we were talking about working together again. And she said, films with dogs do really well. And I was like, oh, I wrote a script. And I've done that too. Yeah. Um, but I literally like was a sucker for dog movies. I love them. And I just wrote a screenplay with a dog for fun. Um, and so I sent her that script and she was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So I ended up making a series of family kids films and, you know, from A to Z, like my ex, you know, directed them. We co-wrote them. I produced them. I acted in them. I was the dog wrangler. I edited them. I went to foreign markets with, with our distributor and we were doing foreign pre-sales for these films. And so I look at that as like my film school, but it was really great because a lot of times you go to make a movie and you're not sure what you're doing. Whereas we had sold already to territories, you know, Latin America, France, Germany. And so the movies had to be done on time, on budget, technically sound. And then because of my creative sensibilities, I wanted to try to make them as good as they can be. Although they're low budget talking dog movies. So it is what it is. Um, and then we elevated to the fourth movie um, being a girl and a dog. She, the dog wasn't talking. And then we did the horse movie. Um, and, um, and then the scope got bigger in each one and, um, and everything. And it was, it was really a neat experience because I learned so much, you know, again, from A to Z, it came from an organic place. Um, and, and, and so then around that time, the, the, the market was shifting. This is when streaming became bigger. So a lot of the bigger companies were going bankrupt that were like focused on DVD sales. So it was kind of like a thing where at the same, around the same time where I'm like, okay, I learned a lot. I don't want to keep doing laps. I want to make art. And so it wasn't, you know, it was a situation in which on these films, it was like sweat equity, right? Like we were owning them. So now if companies are going bankrupt and not paying us, well, then it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense to do. We have to be mindful of the industry and make shifts. But then I also was like, I want to make other films. Like I still love the family kids space and I've got stuff on my plate that are bigger budget, but making low budget, you know, uh, talking dog films was not what I intended to do. Um, so I sought out the filmmakers in Dallas and Austin, you know, so in Texas, but primarily Dallas, that were making films that were playing Sundance and South by and Cannes and films that I wanted to be a part of. And so then I started friendships and collaborations and started producing short films that led to producing feature films and really finding my tribe. And, you know, and it's like you start off sm small, um, got to be good friends with these, this group. And so it was like, I produced their short film when I wanted to direct something, they produced my short film. They helped me produce a short film. I helped them produce their fe feature. And that's where I kind of got some of this like success as far as like with Dave Lowry's A Ghost Story and Augustine Frizzell's, you know, Never Going Back, which premiered at Sundance and were A24 films. And then the next thing ter in terms of this, my, I guess you'd say career trajectory, is I wanted to expand my circle, learn and grow. So I did a producing lab in Los Angeles with Film Independent, where I was out in Los Angeles for a month. And while I was out there, I was like, I'm gonna meet mentors, I'm gonna meet people, but I also wanna meet more people. So I like cold emailed people and said, I produced this movie, A Ghost Story. I just, I'm here doing this producing lab. Would love to take you to coffee. And I was, I got so many responses. People I've still stayed in touch with to this day. Um, and so, and going to film festivals and meeting people. Um, and, and that, so everything is kind of built that way. And then I was, you know, the mentor that I was kind of, I guess you'd say assigned, like they went to people in the industry and said, here are our producing lab fellows. And they, they aligned us with people that, that that would be good for us. And so it was the president of Duplass Brothers Productions that they, they went to Mel Eslin and said, would you be Liz's mentor? And she agreed. And I thought it was perfect because I love their films. They're also multi-hyphenates. You know, Mark and Jay Duplass act and write and direct. Mel Eslin started off as an AD and then worked her way up to running that company. So I was like, this is amazing. 
And one of the things that I try to point out to people is when they talk about it being networking, it's not going to places and just handing out business cards. It's getting to know people. It's establishing friendships. So when I meet people, I try to find out who they are and what their interests are. And then you talk about a project. But if you're just pitching a film, a lot of times you get a yes or a no. If I get to know someone, that's planting seeds for the future. And when I meet people and I have, let's say, a request of like, hey, can you help me with this? What can I do to support you? How can I help you? And then this turns into friendships and collaborations, which last years. And a lot of the things, like when I talk about planting seeds, things didn't come to fruition till a few years later. And so Mel was like talking to me over the years about potential projects and, you know, just the timing didn't work. And then she reached out to me about seven days. And this is during COVID. And one of the things, again, with me is I made a bunch of these independent films. You know, David Lowry was already established. This was a passion project that he was making in, in, in Dallas. And I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to learn from him with A-list actors, top department heads like production designers, you know, costume designers, DPs and that type of thing. Um, and then, you know, with, you know, uh, you know, working with like Augustine and uh, she, you know, we made her low budget film and then she directed the pilot of Euphoria. You know, I, I, I was working on, on, on I worked with a, a filmmaker in New York City. I produced a low budget feature called Materna that premiered at Tribeca, won awards. That filmmaker got a top manager in Hollywood after doing that film. So I was seeing all these people rise. And as an independent producer, there isn't a clear path as like a creative producer in the independent space. So I was kind of like, okay, I need to elevate. I need to like work on bigger films. Uh, let me think about this. Like, let me think about next steps. COVID hit. So then when Mel reached out to me about seven days, I was like, you know what? Right now, the only things that are getting made are micro budget or big budget. So I might as well use my unique skill set in making lower budget films to make art in this time that's dark, you know, in this scary, scary time. So I continued this path. And again, I'm always just assessing, but it, it was amazing because we made seven days in September of 2020 and we ended up winning best first feature at the Spirit Awards. The filmmakers on that film, thank you. The filmmakers on that on that film are two of my best friends now. We're talking about other projects. I, I made this film for Duplass Brothers, so that was a great connection. Then I ended up producing Acid Man. Um, Alex Lehman, the director of that, I met at Sundance on the eve of his premiere of Paddleton, which was with Ray Romano and Mark Duplass. He had worked with, with the Duplass brothers. And so when we met at Sundance, we had that connection. We just started talking about our love of films and our lives, stayed in touch, got coffee in LA. And then he reached out to me about Acid Man. He had a big budget film that was put on pause because of COVID. And that was a personal passion project of his. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. Like, again, trying to trying to make art in, this, in these darker times. And he's a, and his big budget film got greenlit. It was meet cute. They shot it in New York with Kaylee Kyoko and Pete Davidson. It was a romantic comedy that was like, you know, $10 million movie. And so we're talking about working together in the future. And he's also said, you help me make my personal passion project. How can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? And so all of these are relationships over time. There's no way I could have planned that the years before, it was literally just trying to work with people who I wanted to learn and grow from, people who had the same level of taste that, that I did. And then as I was going along the way of figuring out, okay, what do I want to do? And I directed two short films and then I was like, oh, okay, I really like that. I want to do a feature. And, and it's just it's just constantly being open to the, to the road curving, but kind of seeing kind of where you want to be, you know, but it takes time, you know, it's not overnight. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's an important thing that you've mentioned, and it's something that I constantly tell whether it's film students or people that I meet, you know, the networking aspect. Well, it's, it's not just handing out a business card. There are people that I've met over the years that I've become friends with and then didn't work on a project until 10 years later. Right. And then you come together, and next thing you know, you do three films in a row, two dolphin movies and a dog movie. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I haven't done dolphin yet. We got we to gotta join forces. Dolphin, I'd love to do a dolphin movie.
So, but I think, you know, and I think part of that is speaking to what does the marketplace want? There are, of course, films that you want to make. There's everything, you know, projects that you want to make for yourself. But what does the market want? If the market wants dolphin films and dog movies and horse movies or whatever, then you make them because you, you need those stepping stones to, to keep moving. And so, um, uh, Melissa, why don't you talk a little bit about, and, and Elaine, you know, how do you find projects? Like, you know, projects come to you sometimes. You're also looking for projects. Like, how do you get attached to a particular project as a producer to then, you know, move forward and, and kind of help make it happen. I do want to say one thing. The first film that I line produced was Lenny, Lenny the Wonder Dog. So <laughs> it was about a talking dog movie. So, um, yeah, and it was Showtime bought it, I figured, you know. But, um, you know, it takes a really, really long time to figure out, I believe, what kind of films you really want to make. You know, I personally like movies that deal with the human condition, you know, that deal with how strong we really are as human beings and what we can live through and thrive and, and achieve and keep going. Nonetheless, I'll still make Lenny the Wonder Dog. You know, it's not something, you know, it's when you are a writer, director, producer, you have that ability to pick and choose the type of movies you want to do, which is one of the things that, you know, is wonderful about being the creative on it. I know for me, um, it's pretty much, if they're funded, and <laughs> I like the script, um, no, you know, but it, it is what Tony and Beth Liz had said, it is networking. On every film, no matter how big, no matter how small, it's kind of like you're in, you're in the war together. You know, you're all there together. And there are people that I've worked with for 20 films and we've never socialized, but I, they're dear friends. You know, you just, as the years go by, you watch their kids getting born, you watch their projects, they watch your projects. And it really becomes part of a community. Um, I call it our film family. And it's a family that's ever widening and every show I do, my film family grows. You know, I also like to be loyal to the people who are good and grow with you and watch them excel and watch them grow into what they really want to do. Because um, it, it, it is a lot about self-discovery and really knowing, you know, some people are great at comedy. Other people are great at horror. I'd love to do a horror film. Never did one. I still would love to. It's, it's you know, it's fun. But at the same time, um, you reach a point where um, you want to do films that are at least somewhat funded because you spend... <laughs> I mean, I've been there where you could spend a year trying to raise money for a film that never happens and there's a year of your life, you know? So um, it, it's, you know, it, it really is. You have to balance it out. You have to assess as you're going as to what's worth it, what's worth your time and effort. You know, I get a lot of people, a lot of students sending me emails trying to hire me as an executive producer, you know, and meaning they want me to hire me to go raise money for their film. And, you know, um, it's, it's not as simple as that. You know, before you go out and start really raising money for a film, it's usually something you really believe in and really want to attach your name to. Um, it's not just for, you know, any type of project. Um, and I think the freedom we have in the creative arts is to do that at self-exploration and to grow within time and to evolve and watch, you know, other people around you evolve and see how they're doing it, you know, and all of a sudden somebody you started out with is going to the Oscars, you know, and it's, it's just wonderful, you know, and it's something you don't find that kind of camaraderie in a lot of other businesses. But I do believe that key to success and a successful film and, and one that's pleasant to work on has to do with having that camaraderie, having that, you know, you have their back, they have your backs, we work together, um, no matter what your role is, you know, but it really is up to the creatives who write that script, who can take that script and that vision and turn it into, you know, a living, breathing document. You know, we were talking today about how screenplays are not intellectual properties as books are and other things. 
You know, they're, they're just not consent. And I was shocked to find that out. I was like, why not? But because you're not publishing, you know, it's still an idea. And it's something that will continue to evolve. No matter Every time they have a different producer attached, it evolves in a different way. Everybody has something to bring to each project. So, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say as far as finding work for myself, there hasn't been a film that I've done where I haven't worked with at least one of the producers prior. It's usually, you know, you meet, you're working with someone that you know, and then there's that new person coming in, then that new person moves on to their own film and they need a production manager, a production supervisor. And then that's when I get a call. And every time it's, you know, there's never been just a cold call of someone being like, hey, I need a production manager, found your name randomly. You know, <laughs> um, it's always been a, a contact of someone. Um, some of the producers I've worked for, I started, I was their assistant, uh, you know, as a PA on one, and then I'm working with them closely as their production manager. And it's, but it's that trust that you have with them because they know that I won't sleep until I get the job done. Um, not just gonna, you know, leave something hanging or, you know, get to it the next day. And that's what's super important, you know, because removing, especially with the independent level, you know, under the 5 million mark, you're moving at such an incredible pace and you need those people around you who you can trust with anything, you know, when they say that they're going to get it done because there's not time to micromanage and, you know, tell them to pull out your checklist. Let's see, you know, what have you gotten done today? It's, you're just assuming that all those people that you've hired, you know, they've got it. And, you know, in that way, you know, nothing falls through the cracks. And so, you know, we talk a lot about finding money for projects, and this happens to me a lot, and I'm sure it happens to you all a lot as well. The networking aspect, you just meet people at events and events like this and other things, and people just come up to you sort of cold or cold emails or calls and say, hey, I need money for my project. Will you help me do it? And you don't know the person. You've never met them before. How do you approach conversations like that where people reach out to you, whether you've never met them before or you barely know them or you maybe know who they are, and they're like, will you help me find money for my film? Because it's, it's a question that everybody asks and it's always on everybody's mind. And so how do you approach that? What kind of advice do you give them then um, as you let them down softly <laughs> and you know, kind of when, when that happens? Well, it's interesting because, um, oh God, this is so like, there's so much uh, to unpack here. Um, <laughs> because the thing is, it's like, if someone, I'm always, I'm always kind and, and respectful and nice. But if someone's coming to me just like, hey, I need money, will you help me get money? I literally, in my head would be thinking, why would I want to? Like, what is, what, it, what is, it, it just seems so 100% transactional and 100% one way. And as a producer, as a creative producer, you are a partner. You are a strategic creative partner to a writer director or to a director or to a writer, you know. And so to me, it's like I, I, I do get a slight, like in my head, I don't act that way, but it's like, a, it's almost like almost offensive that somebody is going to want me to work for years of my life for them, you know, and it's not, to me, it's like when people come to me, it's like, I have this amazing film. This is what it's about. You know, I'm looking for someone to help me with this. That's a hugely different way of approaching. And I have, I've been vocal about this because again, in like the smaller budget, lower, you know, like independent space, you know, typically it's people coming together, fellow filmmakers. You meet at the Texas theater, you meet at the Dallas Film Commission event, you meet at the Oak Cliff Film Festival, the Dallas International Film Festival, you know, various ways from, you know, and, and therefore, you, Pardon me? Sun, sunscreen Film Festival. Exactly. I was thinking Texas because we're here. But yes. And so then it's like you meet other fellow, let's say. And again, when you're emerging and starting out, you usually wear a lot of hats. So there's overlap in writing and directing and producing and whatever. So you want to help each other make films together. Okay. So then now you're going to that next level where you're like, okay, I've made maybe a couple shorts or whatever. Now I'm trying to elevate. So then what you've got to think about is you are trying to look for someone for a reason, you know, that they made films that you responded to, 
that they would be the type of person you would want to work with. And then when you reach out to them, it's that. Yes, you may need money, but it's going to go a lot farther when it's like you've got the same taste level, whether it's making a horror movie to make money or making a socially relevant movie because you want to open people's eyes to making an art house piece because you want people to see what what talent you have again in this thing of whether it's writing directing producing you know and so forth and so to me it's like i'm just really um mindful of of who i work with how people approach me and the communication and the framing is so important because like you were saying you're talking about potentially working for a year or two without making any money and then so you have to really believe in the person in the relationship and in the film and and every film has a di- you know there's a different reason for making a film it can be about money making money it can like i said these there's are various things so you want to make sure you align and so to me it's like do your research oh this person made the uh, films that i really love and they look like this is that type of film look for a producer that had a short film at a good festival who now would want to elevate to making a a a feature film and want to hustle and and pay their dues so to speak you know again you're not going to get the top producer working you know making your smaller film unless you know there's a real reason behind it and do you have a bunch of short films that did really well or are beautiful or impactful that will help you do that. Did you make a horror film that did pretty well for that budget and that size and you now want to elevate? You know like think about things. It's not transactional. It's not like, "Hey, make my movie for me or, you know, raise my money." That that's just not kind of how it works. And then what I would say and I'm very vocal about this because I am an independent producer is that the career for an independent producer is very different than being like a hollywood executive or development executive although people think of them as the same way and so what happens is hollywood is always looking for the fresh face the fresh voice so then when a movie that's smaller does well they seek out that writer director or that actor but they don't really care about the producer and in a lot of cases producers aren't getting mentioned in articles or aren't necessarily like you know g- given credit so when you're an independent producer you're believing in this relationship in this person and in the movie and you're investing time and resources and everything so when the movie comes out and it does well you're not really getting that much credit you didn't make that much money cuz your percentage that your producer fee is a percentage of the budget so if the budget isn't very much you're not making very much the indie producers are the first people to be like okay i'll i'll give up this part of my money so we can get this made cuz i've already been in i'm already in it for a year or two so when the movie comes out and does well then the opportunities are for the actors the writer directors and then they're like okay we'll make this here we've got this this project and then the the writer director will be like oh well this is my producer and it's a disney film and and they're like we have producers we don't need your producer so it's not the writer director's fault it's kind of intrinsic to the industry and i'm part of a group that have created a union the pga is the producers guild of america but they're not a collective bargaining like screen actors guild the dga the wga and so we're trying to make a change because it's not sustainable as an indie producer however it's so important to independent film and i truly believe that independent cinema is good for humanity we need art we need we need these things and so and i'm not trying to be dramatic but i am also an actress so i guess i can't be dramatic um you know and so i think it's important and like one of the people that helped start this is chris moore who produced goodwill hunting who produced the american pie movies who did the project greenlight you know he grew up with matt and ben and he's like i'm really worried about independent film and about because i couldn't get those movies made i couldn't make a career out of it today you know i'm i'm good you know um but so he's really trying to change make changes and this is kind of in line with what's happening with the strikes for the screen actors guild and and the writers guild i mean those are the same issues sustainability getting paid a, a reasonable rate you know being able to create a career and and being treated with respect and so my thing is when you are a writer director be mindful when you're reaching out to producers look at them as a strategic partner 
Look at it like a relationship. And if you can impress someone, you know, like Elaine, this is a relationship that could last a lifetime and change your career. So treat it that way. And then when you have opportunities, take your producer with them, with you. Try to fight for your producer. It's a lot easier than, than people think because a director or writer-director does have power and they can say, no, this is my producer, but also that producer knows you and they're gonna fight for you. So having someone on your team, like you're saying your film family is so important. The last thing I'll say, cause I know I've said a lot, but this was something that was told to me and I thought it was invaluable. Especially when you're working with your friends or working at a lower level, really communicate and communicate expectations. Of course, you always wanna get contracts. You always wanna have your contracts, whether you're a writer, director, producer. But when you're meeting potential producers for your project, if you're a writer, director, or if you are a producer here and you're, this is your path, when you're meeting with people and you're like, okay, first thing is story. I love the story or it fits my wheelhouse or you know, I think we can make money or whatever your reason is. And then you're like, okay, I like this filmmaker. I like this person. Really communicate what the expectations are. And you can do this in a, like, a very informal deal memo but have a conversation as like, I'm your producer, this is what I expect from you as the writer director. You're the writer director, this is what you expect from me as a producer. So you can clearly communicate these things, where you see the film going, being realistic about it. And then once you discuss it, put it in, a, in an email, put it in an informal deal memo. You can deal with contracts, but if you really start communicating and understanding expectations, I have found that will help immensely going forward. Because a lot of times you're like, I'm making this with my friend or an acquaintance friend or someone that was referred to me. And sometimes what you're thinking is in your head and it's not been communicated or it's what you assumed or it's based on a previous relationship and vice versa. So really getting on the same page, I think is really important and helpful. And that was like a unique thing that I never thought of as far as I think of a contract, but I'm not thinking of just like having the conversation, type it up. So now you're on the same page. And that wraps up another episode of the Dallas Film Commission podcast. We hope you enjoyed this behind the scenes journey. We'd like to express our gratitude to our incredible guests who shared their valuable insights and stories with us and all of you. Whether you're a budding filmmaker, an old pro or a movie enthusiast, Dallas is a place where we make things happen. Be sure to visit the Dallas Film Commission's website for more information, resources, and opportunities to get involved in this thriving industry. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes filled with great guests, inspiring stories, and industry secrets. And cut.